in the beginning. So if you're just showing up at Grace, new at Grace, haven't been here for a little while, we are in the series walking through the book of Genesis. This is week five. We're still in the early chapters, uh, but we just want to encourage you to be it. So uh, there's something that happens every time we teach through a book of the Bible. This has happened for me, uh, and I'm still surprised by it. So we decide um, well in advance, here's what we're going to teach, when we're going to teach it, and uh, we look at the book and we think about the major themes of the book and we think about where we want to go and we lay it out, how many weeks it's going to be. But inevitably, every single time when I think I know what the general message is going to be, where it's going to go, it, God surprises me and it's different than I ever planned that it would be. And the same is true with Genesis this time. And, and I don't know why I'm still surprised by this. The same happens even in my own personal study time. And it just made me think of the Hebrews passage, which is pretty familiar to a lot of us. But the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of heart. The logos, this word, the logos of God is living and active. And uh, it just is telling us that like, if you come to the scriptures with an ear to hear and a heart to receive, even if you've studied a book a hundred times before or seen a passage a thousand times before, I have favorite passages that I bring into 90% of my sermons and then one day I'll be reading it and be like, I've never seen that before, right? It's just, that's the beauty of the scripture. That's the beauty of the word of God. And so one of the things that uh, really has hit me as we've studied, and you all know this is the inspired word of God, right? The scriptures are the inspired word of God. And the thing that's hit me in this particular series that I didn't see coming uh, has been just the overwhelming picture of the grace of God. The creation story is all about the grace of God, right? God creates a perfect place for Adam and Eve. God gives them the perfect purpose in that place, but they didn't do anything. If you noticed in the creation story, there's no earning anything. There's no, okay, Adam and Eve, if you do this, then I'm going to create a place for you. No, he does all that before they ever do it. And even if you look at the fall from that perspective, uh, it's all about grace, right? So before Adam and Eve ever have a chance to say, I'm sorry, God goes and he finds them in the garden. When I was teaching through this a few weeks ago and just thinking about Eve, before Eve ever confesses her sins, before she even knows the, mon, the, the monumental nature of her sin, before it's even sunken in, what does God say to her? He says, out of you, even though you've sinned, out of you, your seed will come the savior of the world. That is the ultimate picture of grace. And grace is this powerful force. Even thinking about it last week, like I never saw this coming. So Wayne preached last week and he preaches on God's grace towards Cain, the murderer, right? And it's just, so there's this theme of grace and I just want to invite you into 
uh, discovering that with us and seeing the grace that is throughout this book of the Bible. It's just, it's really fascinating to me. But here's the deal. Grace is a powerful force. Grace is incredibly difficult for us to wrap our minds on. But here's what I want you to hear too. Grace is the distinguishing difference between Christianity and every other world religion. Right? So if you have some people come to your door uh, and they're part of a group called the Jehovah Witness and you want to have a fun conversation with them, talk to them about grace. It is almost a foreign concept to them to understand that it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. If you have friends that are, uh, come from a Muslim background and you can get into a conversation with them, talk about grace. And you'll find that it's, to them it's almost scandalous to think that God would forgive somebody without actually doing something or earning something. It's a scandalous part. Buddhist, Hindu, Mormons, there is always a heavy emphasis on works. And Christianity says, guess what? You cannot clean yourself up. You cannot earn your way to God. God has created you. God loves you. God sent his son to die for you while you were a sinner. And you are saved by grace. It's an it's amazing part of the story. But here we have this story unfolding in Genesis that's all about grace. So as we continue in, in Genesis, I want you to look for that. I want to encourage you one more time. Be in the book beyond Sunday morning. Get a journal. We've made them super affordable for you. If you haven't seen them yet, there's a blank page after every page. Take notes, underline, bring it with you on Sundays. Take some notes, underline keywords, key phrases. Every time you open it, ask God to use his word, which is living and active, to show you what he wants to show you, to, to show you your own heart, right? So, so get into Genesis. And I also want to encourage you, come to Tuesdays at Grace. We have a great group of teachers who are preparing uh, a, a going deeper sort of message for you happens at 6.30 on Tuesday. We have child care, so we've sort of eliminated that excuse. If you're going to bring a child, you need to register so that we can make sure we have enough child care people. Uh, but if you're not bringing a child, just show up at 6.30, go into the Genesis class and go deeper into Genesis. Okay, grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 5. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one under your seat. If there isn't one under your seat, there'll be one under the seat right beside you. We're running kind of low on some of the Bibles because we keep giving them away because every Sunday I say, if you don't own a Bible, you can keep the one under your seat. And I'm glad to say we've given away hundreds and hundreds of Bibles, so we're ordering new ones to replace. But there is one near you under somebody's seat. You might want to be careful how you get that Bible. But anyway, find a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 5. Uh, and we're going to just read through the whole chapter. And, and this is a genealogy. And if you've spent much time in the Word, sometimes genealogies can be a little difficult to read. But I want to encourage you to listen for a rhythm and then an exception to the rhythm and then back to the rhythm. Because this becomes one of the key takeaways for this particular sermon. Genesis chapter 5. Why don't you stand as I read through the entire chapter. says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man and he made him in the likeness of God, male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and he named them man, or the word is human or mankind, when they were created. 
When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Adam's life were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalil. Kenan lived, uh, sorry, lived after he fathered Mahalil 840 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 912 years, and he died. When Mahalil had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalil lived after he fathered Jared 830 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalil were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he's fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, and he called him Noah, saying, Out of the ground the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived uh, after he fathered Noah 595 years, had other sons and daughters, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, just think about that for a minute. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the genealogy. Thank you for the inspired word of God. We pray every Sunday that uh, those who are online, those who are in the room will leave different than they came because they have heard a word from the living God because the word of God is living and active and it's able to do deep surgery in our souls. And so Lord, I just pray that uh, we would have ears to hear, hearts to receive a word from you, whether it's through the songs that we sang, the testimonies that we heard from people who were baptized, a conversation in the lobby, a sermon that Pastor Doug preaches, whatever you use, we pray that you would use it to speak a word and that our lives would be different because we have had an encounter with the living God, the God who sees us, that knows us, who created us, knows every hair on our head, who knit us together in our mother's womb. Thank you that you are a personal God. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, 
Uh, there is nothing like sitting down on Monday to prepare for your sermon and reading a genealogy and asking yourself, okay, what are we going to do with this one? But I want to tell you something. There is more in chapter 5 than I can cover in the next 25 minutes or so. Another reason for you to come to Tuesdays at Grace so you can go deeper, get more of what, what's in there. With the season that we're in, I felt like it was incredibly appropriate to title today's sermon, The Adams Family. <laughs> See what I did there? Right? But to understand this chapter, chapter five, we have to go back to what I talked about week one. We have to understand the purpose of Genesis. Why did God want Moses to write Genesis? Why did God inspire Moses to write Genesis? And if you keep reminding yourself, Genesis is the, the introduction to Exodus. It's really the preface for the rest of the Bible, but specifically it was written so that these Israelites who had, who had been released from Egypt and been in Egypt for over 400 years, it was to re-indoctrinate them to the truth. It is their introduction to why you are where you are, who you are, who God is, and what God expects from you. So as you're reading Genesis, if in your mind's eye you're thinking about why is this important, for the Israelites to hear, it will also help you make the application, why is it important to me? I always say this, right? Context matters. If you don't know what it meant to the original readers, you cannot really know what it means to you. So keep thinking about that as you're reading, as you have your journals and you're studying. Keep reminding yourself this is written to the Israelites to remind them of who they are, who God is, and the particular call that God has on their lives, right? So, the idea is that, that it's history, right? There, there's this, this family line. This is one branch, if you will, of the family tree from Adam. And it's taking them all the way to Seth, and eventually it'll take them to Abraham. But this is the messianic line, right? So first it's history, but then it's also the story of God's faithfulness. Right? And it's one thing for me to say, hey, you are chosen, or for Moses to say, hey, just so you know, you guys are chosen. But when they hear the narrative, when they see the bloodline, right, and they hear the story of God's preservation, which is going to be the whole point of Genesis as we keep reading, then they begin to own it. Right? Like it's not just a story. They, they see it for what it actually is. You have to, one of the main themes of the Old Testament is remember all that God has done. Right? Over and over, 200 times we're told to remember God's hand, to remember the goodness of God. Well, if you don't know the story, what are you supposed to remember? So what Moses is doing, he's giving him the touch points for them to remember in order to celebrate all that God has done. And the same is true for us. So we have a it's usually six to seven month discipleship process here at Grace called The Journey. Very intense, uh, very helpful for people. But one of the main components of The Journey is the people who are participating have to write their narrative and then read their narrative to the other participants in the small group. It's usually a, uh, it's, a, it's an intense process to say the least. It's also a very holy process. But what happens is when people really take the time with some instruction to write their story, they began to see God's hand in their life more specifically, even before they ever said yes to Jesus. Sometimes we think God's over there 
I said yes to Jesus, now God's over here. But when you write out your narrative and you see, all of a sudden you realize God's, God's hand is in my life even before I was born. God's hand was in my life protecting me when I was making stupid decisions. At least that's how my story plays out, right? God's hand, you see God's hand and suddenly we, we have a better idea of our calling and our purpose. So that's, that's what Moses is doing through the inspiration of God. He is giving them their narrative. This is your bloodline. This is the story. This is who you are and this is what you're called to. So central point of Genesis is it's all about identity and purpose for the Israelites. And if it's all about identity and purpose for the Israelites, Genesis is all about identity and purpose for you as well. It's all about identity and purpose for us as a church. Knowing your identity, knowing your purpose changes your understanding of your job Right? When you really know why you're on this earth, it changes how you work, it changes how you parent, it changes your, your relationship to your neighbors, it changes everything around you. Suddenly, it blurs the lines, which are supposed to be blurred, between sacred and secular. Everything is sacred. Right? When you know that you are chosen, when you know that you are called, when you know who you are and you know your purpose. So, book of Genesis, Genesis 5 in particular, it's history. And it's clarifying the call and giving them clear instructions on how to live into their identity and purpose. Important element of clarifying your identity and purpose is dealing with false indoctrination. Part of the reason for writing Genesis was to re-educate the Israelites as to what is true. They were influenced by Egyptian culture. They were influenced by Egyptian religion. The, the people had lived under the Egyptian rule for over 400 years. They were indoctrinated to believe what the Egyptians believed. And if you wonder, how do I know that? Because we see it in Exodus. As soon as they get in trouble, they go back to what they used to know. That's why they build an idol Right When Moses is delayed on the mountain, they're going back to, to the religion that they were taught, right? And the, the culture that they were taught. And so part of Genesis is helping them to understand the right story, the truth about who God is. So it's, Egyptian culture is a big part of it. But what we also need to understand is that the Egyptians were deeply influenced by a group of people called the Sumerians. It's actually a group that was discovered in the 19th century archaeological uh, discoveries of this ancient civilization that existed before Moses and before Egypt. So those discoveries in the 19th century, uh, th they actually now credit the invention of time to the Sumerians. By that, they mean they were the first ones to have 24-hour days. Right, And they were the first ones to have 60 minutes in an hour. And they were the first ones to actually have 60 seconds in a minute. And so they're sort of this creation of time. They're the, really the first schools that we have any record of come out of this Sumerian culture. The first government process comes out of this Sumerian culture. The first uh, tall architectural structures come out of the Sumerian process. So it's this very advanced civilization that predates Egypt. And the other thing that was a big part of it is, is they... They believed, the, the Egyptians that is, believed that the pharaohs were descended from the kings of the Sumerian culture. And get this, they, would, they were taught that those kings, some of those early kings lived tens of thousands of years. Right? So if you read their genealogy, it would say, and kings, whoop, whoop, I don't know any of their names, 
lived 10,000 years and reigned 10,000 years, right? And so there's even a setting the record straight for what's, what's, a, what's a realistic lifespan. Now for us, 900 years seems a little unrealistic, but we'll talk about that in just a minute, right? So you have all of this false indoctrination, right? They all believe something about God. They have their own creation story, which I talked about week round. They have their own flood story, right? They have their own story about the descendant of kings, and it's all there for a reason. So the Egyptians would say very intentionally to the Israelites, we are descended from royalty. Our pharaohs are in the line of the king, and you, Israelites, are less than. And this is the story of mankind. Whoever is in power will always spin a narrative that causes them to say, this, I am better than, I am more than, you are less than, and that legitimizes my oppression of you. It's happened over and over throughout history. It's just the way humans are. It's actually Satan's scheme. He either wants you to believe that you are superior to others, giving you the right to lord over them, or he wants you to believe that you're inferior to others and others have the right to lord over you. That's why chapter 5 starts with, you are created by God in the image of God. Over and over for the first five chapters, you are created in the image of God. Male and female, gender was God's idea. Male and female, you represent the very image of God. No one is superior and inferior. And the whole point of the Bible is that we are called to see the image of God in one another and serve one another and love one another. It's a completely different paradigm to the way we see the world's culture. All right. So, I have no idea where I am. Give me one second. <laughs> Genesis 5. It's the messianic branch of Adam's family. We can see... Each one of these people had other sons and daughters. We're not talking about the other sons and daughters. We're just talking about one line of the, of the branch that comes all the way eventually to Abraham, father of nations. Uh, I will say this. There's a ton of debate out there about the ages. Were they really that old? Did they have a different way of keeping years? Or that just, you know, just, I, I don't care. I mean, I, honestly, I, it really doesn't change the gospel at all. And I believe that they lived much longer. I also could very well, it's very possible that they had a little bit of different measurement of time, but it doesn't matter. If they lived 900 years, they lived 900 years. It's not super unreasonable that there's a lot less disease. A lot, there's all kinds of theories about how that could be. I will tell you this. I wasn't going to say this, but I think it's funny. One of the commentaries I read said that they just aged slower and that they could have possibly been in diapers until they were 80. And I remember, <laughs> and I remember thinking... That's like a new kind of hell. <laughs> like any, anyway, right, now you're all good. That's all you're going to remember. You're all going to go home. That's all you're going to remember. So take that out of your mind. That's why I wasn't going to say it. But anyway, we don't know how old they really were. But I, but I want you to hear this. If the measurement of time is the same from Adam to Noah, then it means Lamech, Adam's father, Lamech, Noah's father, knew Adam. Did you track with that? Yeah. Adam's dad knew. Okay, start over. Okay, so we're going to look at the book of Genesis. No, I'm not going to go that far back. Yes, I can do this. Noah's dad, Lamech, knew Adam. Isn't that cool? I, I just think that's cool. Anyway. All right. 
embedded in the genealogy that we just read are two applications that I want to pull out. And the, they're both easy to miss, but pretty monumental. So let's look at the first one, verses 1 and 2. Genesis 5, 1 and 2 says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and named them human or mankind when they were created. Remember, he's going back to the very basics. He's telling them again the true creation story over and over for the first five chapters. You are created. You were created male. You were created female. Gender was God's idea. And you were created to reflect the very image of God. Remember one of the overarching messages of Genesis is you are purposefully created to be purposefully creative. You have divine, listen church, you have divine identity and divine purpose, right? So chapter five stands in stark contrast to chapter five, purposefully so. Both uh, of these chapters, chapter four and chapter five, identify a branch of Adam's tree, a branch of the Adam's family, right? And, and chapter four is all about the, the culmination and the power of generational sin. So if you were here last week and you, and you heard Wayne's message, it was brilliant, but he talked about this guy named Lamech. Right? And it gets a little confusing because when we get to chapter 5, we talk about a guy named Lamech. So there's two. There are two different guys, which isn't all that uncommon. You guys all know two people named Bob, right? It's not that hard once you figure it out. Right? So Lamech number one is a murderer in the line of his forefather, Cain. It's a picture of vengeance, of hate. It's the, it's the growing power of generational sin. That's the, the key to, to chapter 4. Chapter 5 is God's plan to address sin. Right? So it's a beautiful picture. So we have all the way to Lamech having a son, naming him Noah. And Noah, he says in verse 29, this one shall bring us relief. Listen. Noah's name means reset. Now, if you know the story of Noah, that's pretty fascinating. And I'm pretty sure when Lamech said this one will bring relief, he wasn't thinking about a flood. He wasn't thinking about a natural disaster beyond all natural disasters. But he was thinking there's something about this boy that is part of God's redemptive plan to address the curse that is a part of of, of who we are. So chapter four is the growing power of generational sin. Chapter five is God's plan to address sin. I want to do something really quick. Just stay with me. I'm just going to go through the names in chapter five and what the names mean. Because if you listen to the names and what they mean, you see the plan unfold. Adam means human. Adam has a son named Seth. It means substitute. Seth is both the substitute for Cain Right? He's, he's the third son. He becomes the line of the Messiah. But substitute, think about it. What is Jesus? He is our substitute. Right? So Seth means substitute. Uh, Seth has a son named Enosh, which is, Enosh, which is another uh, name for human. Then Kenan, which is a variation of Cain. But then listen to how it plays out. Mahalil means praise of God. Jared means servant of God. Enoch 
means dedicated and trained for God. Methuselah, a little bit of indecision about this one, but most people think it means man of rest. Lamech means strong from youth. Noah means rest or reset. And Shem means great reputation or fame. God is setting in motion the plan of redemption. Teaching chapter 5 wouldn't be complete if we didn't hit the pause button and talk about Enoch. Very intentional. As I said, pay attention to the rhythm that we have one person in that whole lineage that's out of rhythm, right? It doesn't fit. Well, we should pay attention to that. So if you're underlining in your journal or your Bible, I encourage you to underline verses 23 and 24. Maybe put a star in the margin, maybe write in big letters, very important. All right, so verse 23 and 24 says, Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. And if we were to read this anywhere else in scripture without the context that we have it in chapter 5, we probably would assume Enoch died. This could just be a poetic way of saying he died. But what do we know is everyone else died, right? Every single one of the patriarchs says, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died. And then it says he was no more. God took him. He didn't die. He was taken to be with God. And it's easy to miss this reading Genesis, but one of the themes or threads that runs throughout Genesis is walking with God. And if you think about it, the thread starts right in the very beginning. Adam and Eve sin, and what does it say? They heard the sound of God walking in the garden. It's not the first time they ever heard it, but it's the first time they ever hid. Right? Because sin has entered the world. Now they hide in their shame. They hide. Now the good news, God comes and finds them. But it's a contrast. Adam and Eve didn't walk with God. But when we get to Noah, which is going to happen in a couple weeks, you're going to see that he is described as a man who walks with God. Abraham is described as a man who walks with God. Joseph is described as a man who walks with God. With God. And the Israelites are being told through this chapter A, you are royalty, you are not less than, you are royalty, and you are to faithfully walk with God. Be like Enoch, walk with God. In good times, walk with God. In bad times, walk with God. Faithfully walk with God. I love the imagery, and it's not just imagery, it's, but, but it works. It's intimate. It's personal, right? And part of what Moses is saying, yes, God is the creator. Yes, God is all powerful, but he wants to walk with you, right? He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to be in an intimate relationship with you. And here's what I want to say this morning. Like, walking with God, it's not easy, but it's not complicated. Yeah. You track with what I'm saying? It's, it's not all that complicated. Stop not walking with God for one thing, right? You can't walk with God and, and make stupid decisions, right? And do what your own thing. You know what you should do. You got to do it, right? And, and it starts with the very thing we saw in the baptism thing. It starts with putting a stake in the ground and saying, I am going to walk with God, Right? And then doing those things and, and look, God wants to walk with you. 
And if you desire to walk with God, and if you're serious about walking with God, he will help you to walk with him. It's not that complicated, but it's not easy because there is a devil, because there is an enemy of your soul, because there is a, a pull away from walking with God. Walking faithfully with God is what you were created to do. It is your purpose. Any good that happens, any kingdom impact that happens is rooted in your walk with God. I love what Oswald Chambers says. He says, it's painful work to get in step with God and to keep pace with him. It means getting your second wind spiritually and learning to walk with God. There's always this difficulty of getting into his stride. But once you have done so, listen to what he says. The only characteristic that exhibits in, your, in the very life is God himself. The individual person is merged into the personal oneness with God and God's stride and his power alone are exhibited. This is our job as a church, is to help you walk with God. Right? If you could just boil it down, like, like what's, why are we here? We are here to inspire you to walk with God, and we are here to help equip you to walk with God. Now, you have to make a decision that you want to walk with God. We can do everything right. If you don't want it, it ain't going to help. But, but, but we are here. That's why we push you towards community. Why? Because what does Doug always say? You cannot walk faithfully with Jesus in isolation, you need community. That's why we push you to be here on Sunday mornings because it makes a difference. That's why we push you to serve because God made you to live out your gifting. All of that is part of helping you to walk with God. The Bible studies are to help you to understand the word of God so that you can walk with God. The stories, the testimonies, the videos, it's all about helping you to walk with God. Why would we have trunk or treat? Because we want 3,000 kids to show up here so that they'll show up at church so we can teach them how to walk with God. We can introduce them to Jesus and we can say, look, God wants you to walk with him. That's why the church exists, to help people, to help you to walk with God. Amen. <sighs> <laughs> the passage says, Enoch walked with God and at the tender age of 365 years old, he was not for God took him. I was struck this week uh, for the first time reading it, like, he's really young. Like, it's hard for us to read 365 years and think young. But if you compare him to all of the other people that were living 900 years, 900 years, 969 years, 970 years, right? Like, he's maybe 25 or 30, like, in comparison to our lifespan. and his. So he's, he's really young, but it's not a story of tragedy or sorrow, right? It, the point is... It's a celebration for God took him is a good thing. And here's the point. And, and the Israelites so needed to see this and we so need to see this. The point that chapter five is making is there is something more, right? It, it's saying there is something of higher value than long life, right? Do we really believe that? Like deep in our souls, do we really believe that there is something better than living to the ripe old age of 85 or 90? 
right? But that's what Genesis is saying. There's something of higher value and greater reward than long life. Living in eternity with God is the carrot. It's the goal. Something of ultimate value that's worth giving your entire life to lies beyond the grave for those who are faithful to God, like Enoch. Going to be with God, it's something glorious. It's something to be celebrated. Now, let me say that one more time. Going to be with God is something glorious and something to be celebrated. And I can tell you, when I was writing that sentence and when I was planning to preach it, there is a sense of trepidation for me to say it because I'm thinking about my friends who have lost loved ones way too early. who've had to raise their babies without their dad. Or friends who have lost a child and don't get to see them grow old. And it feels easy for me to say it because I don't live in that place. But my hope is that the story of Enoch would be a reminder of the hope and the truth that we hold on to amidst the morning. The reality of the better that awaits us doesn't take away the bitter that confronts us. Scripture says we mourn, but we mourn with hope. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And that is a glorious story. And it's in Genesis 5 to remind each of them, that there is a rich reward for those who walk faithfully with God. So chapter five, it sets up God's plan for addressing sin. It is the, the chapter that has to come before the chapter on Noah. Otherwise, you'd all be like, where does Noah character come from, right? So it's setting up what we will get into in two weeks, the story of Noah. But it's the story of God's relentless pursuit of us. It's a reminder that in Jesus, listen, you are royalty. You are of a royal bloodline. You are royalty and you have purpose. And God created you with divine purpose and divine identity. And he is calling you to walk with God. It's what you are made to do. Walk with God. Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that even in a genealogy, there's so much for us to wrestle with, to think about. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that walk with you. That there would be kingdom impact because we walk with you. That our schools would be changed because we walk with you. And our families would be transformed because we walk with you. And our marriages would be transformed because we walk with you. And our friendships would be transformed because we walk with you. Help us to be a people that model our lives a little bit after Enoch who walked faithfully with God. Lord, I pray for my friends who are struggling with this truth that It is a glorious thing to go and be with God, to reconcile that tension. 
Help us to be the church you've called us to be at Maras 994. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, there's a group of people that meet a half hour before each service. They meet in the chapel, which is right over here. If you want to join them ever, we would love for you to come and join them. And they just basically ask God, what do you want to do in the service today? Uh, what do you want to, uh, how do you want to minister to your people? And this is what they heard God say, that there's some people that just need some prayer for their marriage. We would love to pray for you. Someone's got something going on with their left shoulder. Uh, there's someone in the room or online who's just really struggling with fear and anxiety and someone heard while they were praying fish and loaves and they said we think that will mean something to someone so God is probably calling you to give what you have so that he can bless it so if you need prayer physical spiritual a little bit of both we got some wonderful people that are trained and equipped to pray for you love for you to come down if you're online right now we just encourage you to uh, call the church, ask for one of the pastors anytime that we're open. We'd love to pray for you as well. Uh, we're going to get into the very beginning of chapter 6 next week that sets up what will then begin a series on Noah in two weeks, okay? All right, God bless you.